And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly host, uh, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Albert? So happy for us in Toronto, early New Year. Uh, It's already New Year in Australia, I believe. Uh, I think it's, uh, or just about. Um, Oh, is that time right? It's 11. No, it's it's already New Year's in Australia. And so, just asking, can you believe it's already the end of 2023 uh, and the beginning of 2024? Yeah, time flies. Um, As we approach the new year, it's a good opportunity to check in, um, to do a life inventory of sorts. It's just a natural time to do it. So, just asking, um, how are you doing emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally, vocationally, financially, uh, and of course, it's good to ask ourselves, how are we doing spiritually, and perhaps even most importantly, how are you in your relationship with God, uh, and specifically, especially uh, for Christians, uh, how is your following Jesus daily coming along? Uh, just as compasses and, and reliable GPSs are important to navigate roads and lands, uh, we need reliable spiritual compasses and spiritual GPS to navigate life, uh, especially as we traverse uh, the most important and, and consequential journey from life on this earth to life in eternity. And so let me ask, uh, what's the Christian's compass? What's your compass? What keeps us headed in the right direction? What keeps us on track? And the Christian, here's my suggestion, Uh, my belief, the Christian looks to the Holy Spirit, uh, specifically to illumine Jesus Christ and the Father's love, uh, the wisdom of their ways. uh, And and all this, what the Spirit uses is Scripture, uh, just a Christ-centered, gospel-centered meditation on Scripture. And all this bathed in Scripture-based prayer. And so generally, I, I offer that to you as, as a compass to kind of resharpen that, to think about that again, to come back that, to that again. Now, 
I know that was a mouthful, that's a lot there. So let me try to hone in on one part of that compass. If we look at Orthodox church history, I think church history would affirm that a really important part of a Christian's compass is just this big thought. Build Christ's church. This call, it's an important part of the Christian life, a very essential part. And this is something, this call to build Christ's church, it's meant to keep us on track, to keep our faith on track. And I hope beyond just me saying that, that I hope it's ringing a bell. Uh, the reason why is because our vision statement for this ministry year, 2023-2024 ministry year, uh, is exactly this, Build Christ Church. We introduced this back in September as sort of our major ministry theme, but it's not just for ministry and, and church life. It, it's even for our own personal uh, walks with Christ. And so certainly the Christian is called to see their lives through the lens of building Christ's church. Everything in life is meant to be colored and, and, and just the tone is supposed to be set by the overarching purpose of building Christ's church. So just as I am first a child of God before I'm a husband, I'm a father or a pastor, I'm a child of God first. And so just as being a child of God informs and should shape and color every other role and part of my identity, similarly, building Christ's church is meant to be an overarching primary lens that gives us shape and color to all our life pursuits. No matter what vocation uh, you have or just what else is going on in life, this is meant to be sort of a first primary lens to make sense of life. So we're at halftime, so to speak, at least in the ministry year. And so today I want to ask and I want to spend the next few weeks to check in. How are we doing as a church, especially when it comes to building Christ's church? And not only as a church, but how are you doing individually? My prayer is that you're refreshed and renewed to build Christ's church as we venture into the new year. And we're going to continue uh, through the Christmas story today. There's so much there, never enough time in just the four weeks of Advent to cover it all. So it's good to look to that uh, today. But also it it's just happens that there's a lot there that speaks to building Christ's church. And so specifically, we're picking up on the pronouncement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. And so it's the shepherd's Christmas story. And so to that end, um, I just want to ask, well, first, that there be the prayer, Lord, renew my heart to build your church with joy and gladness. And to help us think about that and, and just asking the question, how does the shepherd's Christmas story encourage us to build Christ's church? It's straightforward. And I want to do my best to show you uh, that the shepherd's story teaches us about God's mercy, God's Messiah, and God's mission, okay? And so let's dive into it. First, um, so asking the question, how does the shepherd's Christmas story encourage us to build Christ's church? First, build the church with God's mercy, with God's mercy. Now, why build the church with God's mercy? So as opposed to just you know, a, a fear of God or some other quality of God. I want to say because that's how God has built his church. God himself, with his mercy, 
Now, where do we see God's mercy in the shepherd's Christmas story? Let's pick up in verse 8. And in the same region, so Jesus has been born already. And in that same region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. So here are shepherds. And let's appreciate what's going on here. Jesus, God's chosen Messiah, his Christ. Remember, Messiah and Christ are the same word. They, they mean the same thing. Uh, he's just been born. Now, when my children were born, uh, it was natural for me. just came out of me. I want to call up my friends, my best buds, and let them know my child's been born. And I did that. I announced to them. I was proud. I was happy. And naturally, I had a prioritized list of people to contact, an order. And, and Linda had her list too, and so I called her prioritized list. I think similarly, God the Father is also delighted to share the news of Jesus' birth, his son's birth, God come down to earth as man. And so the first person you decide to share this kind of news with is not insignificant. Who does God choose to share the news with first? The shepherds, okay? Now, it's common opinion amongst commentators and the people that research all this stuff that shepherds in Jesus' day, they were lowly people. They were lowly. Religiously, in the Jewish religion and culture, and, and culturally speaking, they were even despised uh, because the nature of their work, just the very nature of their work, you know, on one hand, can't blame them. It's just the nature of the work, but it left them spiritually, religiously unclean. And because of that, because they couldn't observe Israel's ceremonial laws, no one wanted to be around them. And what's more, shepherds, unfortunately, they often had bad reputations. They, well, I don't know the whole story behind it, but the commentators say they were considered unreliable, so much so that they were rarely looked to in the court of law for testimony. And all of this, naturally, snowball effect, domino effect, it made them also even socioeconomically poor. So being a shepherd was not a glorious work. And to add insult to injury, the shepherds in this scene, they got the short end of the, the work schedule. They got the graveyard shift. And so this might be the lowest of the low here. Now, Imagine, if you're God, would you announce the birth of the Savior of the world, of the Messiah, to this ragtag group of ceremonially unclean, disreputable shepherds who people don't naturally like listening to, even in the court of law, for witness and testimony? But God does. Why? I think one confident takeaway from this is, is, is that it's an opportunity to put his mercy on display. It's an opportunity to foreshadow and demonstrate the new order that he will inaugurate through the life, death, resurrection, message, and mission of his chosen Christ, his chosen Messiah, and it's this babe, Jesus. And so we read, Picking up in verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, the shepherds. And the angel said to them, fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so I hope you can see with me signs of God's great mercy. The glory of the Lord shines around these lowly shepherds, despised shepherds. And the shepherds, at least, they demonstrated the right and fitting response to when there's some presence of God. This was an angel of God, but it says the glory of God shone around them. And so God is certainly um, just communicating his, his presence through the angel to them, and his glory is there. And so they respond as any human being in their right mind should and would, with fear. But look at the divine surprise of God. I hope you can see with me God's magnificent mercy. And the angel says to them, fear not, don't be afraid. And this fear not, it comes up, I believe, at least three times in the, the Christmas stories. Once to Mary, once to Zechariah, and here again to the angels. This is repeated, fear not. There's a divine surprise, there's a magnificent mercy. And so God speaks to the angel to say, quite the opposite of fear, I bring you good news of great joy. And not just for these shepherds, of course, it's, it's remarkable, starting with these shepherds. They would feel, if God's coming to me, first of all, I'm, I'm doomed, I'm unclean. And so this is quite a remarkably happy good news. And then it's for all the people, not just the shepherds, for all the people. So here's the look in the spiritual mirror question for us. As we seek to build Christ's church, Maybe you had an opportunity, even in the past little while, just to talk to someone about faith, about Christ. As we seek to build Christ's church, do you see everyone through God's merciful eyes? God has great tenderness, mercy, and compassion towards these shepherds. He effectively makes them VIPs as he announces his son's birth as a human on earth, the shepherds first out of all the people on earth at this time. Again, why? Because I, I do think that one application here is that God has left you and me a permanent reminder for his church through the shepherd's Christmas story that we're to approach, especially those who might feel like the shepherds, unclean, marginalized, outcast, and poor. We're supposed to Approach them with God's mercy and good news of great joy. So as we remember Christ's church, as we seek to build Christ's church, um, let us remember those who God remembers. Now in today's passage, we specifically see God, he esteems uh, the, the poor, spiritually unclean shepherds who are even socioeconomically poor. But certainly the Bible, when you read through it, you see it from a high level, it's, it's pretty clear that God has a very specific heart for specific people. We see clearly, it, it's, it's, it's so, once you see it, it's, it's so obvious that God's heart is for the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and in addition to the poor that we see today in today's passage. Now, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the poor, certainly the church to this day, until Christ calls us home, we're meant to understand that literally. We should be 
caring for the literal widow, the literal orphan, the literal foreigner, the literal poor. But certainly there's a spiritual understanding to all this too. The, the spiritual widow, meaning the one who spiritually is perhaps feeling abandoned with no support. The spiritual orphan, the, the one who is perhaps spiritually lost with no spiritual father or mother or, or love in their lives to guide them. The spiritual foreigner who is spiritually wandering, looking for eternal meaning and purpose in this life to find their spiritual home. And the spiritually poor, Jesus himself says, blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning those who understand. Perhaps you know someone who, who when you really get to know them, they're, they're walking under a weight of guilt and shame. They know they're morally bankrupt and they have nowhere near enough to pay God back to be reconciled to him. In fact, a Christian should never forget our spiritual poverty. So we, Christ followers, as agents of God's mercy, extending grace to those around us, especially remembering those that God remembers, are we building the church with God's mercy? Do we remember them? Well, moving on, how do we show God's mercy? It, it will know and be able to overflow God's mercy more, in some sense, easily, if we can use that word, if we build the church with God's Messiah. Okay? Um, I'm going to jump fast forward in time from this scene to the first church. And the church has exploded in a city called Corinth. There are Christians there gathered. The Apostle Paul spent some time with them, and he writes a letter to them. And at some point in their story, there came a point where there was a divide in the congregation. Uh, there are two factions in the church, and it was based on a person's uh, just liking, their preferred preacher or pastor. People were taking a liking to either Paul the Apostle or a fellow named Apollos, and we know he was a charismatic preacher. And Paul addresses this unhealthy divide and uh, what he says to the Corinthian church is really important, uh, even brilliant in terms of God's wisdom, and, and even sobering. And it's relevant to what we, wanna, what we mean by building uh, Christ's church with God's Messiah. So uh, listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulos, are you not being merely human? It's a bit of a, a zinger, but it's, it's healthy medicine that he needs to share with the Corinthians and, and we should consider. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's wisdom. That any church that is worth, that, that is maybe worthy of, 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 of God, it's built on Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. How many churches, perhaps even in your own lifetime and experience, in your own through your own eyes, you've seen churches that have risen and fallen 
merely on a human personality. Look, one comfort, one truth is that God is sovereign. He's powerful. He works mysteriously, redemptively, even through broken sinners and the messiness that we create. But that said, when we look back on church history through God's eyes, I wonder how much of what we might call church growth was genuinely spirit-generated versus how much of church growth was man-centric. It was fabricated by man to produce what looked religious, but was actually in the final analysis just a mass sort of humanistic movement driven by manipulation of emotions and psychology or churches that have been built on the wrong message, perhaps just our desire for self-help or wealth and health, or perhaps churches that have been built on fear and bullying from a leader's ego. In the Christmas story, in the shepherd's story, we see God beginning to build his church. But how does God do it? What is God's above-board method? So looking at verse 11, this is what starts to build, bring people into Christ's church. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There it is. Paul, he was right. He was inspired by the Spirit, and he and Luke would agree. The church is built on Christ, on Jesus. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. God builds on the one and only foundation of his son, Jesus Christ. And so God himself sends a messenger, the angel, to preach the gospel to these shepherds, the good news of Jesus as the Christ. And this is what catalyzes them to want to go and see, and they themselves place faith, and the church begins to grow. In the spirit of halftime checking in at Trinity Grace Church, we want to continue the message and core methods of the first church. Preach Christ, Christ Jesus crucified and risen and his coming kingdom. That's it. That's the core. If we stick to that, I think the Spirit will be gracious to help us not go off track. May our church grow in genuine, spirit-filled disciples of Jesus because the gospel that God himself has plainly announced is clearly preached. In Christ, in Jesus, we find the Messiah, the promised one who brings salvation and hope. And as we build Christ's church, let's center it on this person, Jesus. He's not just a historical figure. He's the living Messiah present with us today. And so may our churches, may Trinity Grace Church be a place where people encounter this Jesus and his transformative power. Now, what's helpful, and I want to encourage you as we go into the new year, don't give up in sharing. Maybe some of you are discouraged today. I mean, for myself, even I had to get over a little bit. I invited uh, a friend, uh, a family that um, they're not believers, and it was all set up, and then last minute they canceled. <laughs> they were going to come out to the Christmas service. I got so discouraged. 
I have to admit just in my own sort of humanness, I was like, ah, that's the point. <laughs> and as I read Luke 2, I hope you'll be renewed with me. Don't give up. Just keep talking about Christ. Keep Christ at the center. And let's keep sharing. And because, look, our, our culture, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, they might not articulate it this way, but everyone, everyone is looking for their Messiah. They're looking for their Christ. Whether it's looking to another person or to themselves or to some object or status or narrative, everyone is looking for something to save them and bring them happiness. And God has revealed, no, the one true Messiah, the one true Christ is my Jesus, my son. And it's been plainly shared with us. And so let's keep announcing that there's only one true Messiah. The shepherds, we see, they witnessed history. This will be a sign for you. They went and saw history with their own eyes. And the church of Jesus, you and me, we continue to witness to history to this day. So that leaves us with the final idea today. Remember, the question is, how does the shepherd's Christmas story encourage us to build Christ's church? Finally, build the church with God's mission. Okay? Meaning, how do we make this our own? How do we put this into action? It's always a healthy check-in to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we being and doing church rightly? Okay? It's both being and doing. It's who we are. We're God's children called out, but we're not, it's not just an identity. It's meant to overflow into action, into a life, into choices. And so according to God's blueprint, according to Christ's mission, are we being and doing rightly as his church? The closing verses of today's passage, they leave us with helpful gauges of our health as, as a church. So let's pick up in verse 13. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Appreciate the song choices today. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now first, just in case anyone is thinking or asking, angels. Like, come on, that seems like fairy tale. No. Look, our, uh, just uh, we uh, renewed a, a Netflix subscription recently. And um, uh, one of the the first um, shows that popped up as a suggestion was um, a scientific view of the, the beginning of time. And the question is, you know, the, the hope and the belief, actually the narrator is saying, we believe that there's other life out there. And as we see how far, uh, you know, with, I forget the name of the new telescope that is now reaching to the ends of the universe and so forth, there must be life out there. Look, as a culture, as a society, we want to believe that there are other beings and so forth. So angels, God's already saying, there are. <laughs> Just see life through my eyes, and there is other life. First, there's God. There are angels. There are demons. I've sent my son. And so if there's anyone who's asking that or skeptical because you see the mention of angels, I offer that to you, and maybe you can talk to friends who question on that sort of line of thinking and engage them that way. But what we see here, what we see modeled is worship. The right response 
to Jesus as Christ. He's announced. And beginning with the angels, there's worship. And so be glad. Just back to our basics. Through scripture, you see it beautifully. It pops up all the time. Be glad. If you've heard the gospel and it, it's getting into you, you understand it, what the grace that God has shown you through Jesus, then a first response is to just be glad, no matter your circumstance, that you can find gladness because of God's grace to you in Christ. And so we worship Jesus as our Christ. He's not just a person in history, but he's our Christ, our Messiah. Even right now, every Sunday, when we gather, I hope you come here by faith. I hope you always have some intuition, some sense of singing, not just with other warm bodies, wonderful people that I look forward to seeing every week, but even the heavenly host. What Hebrews 12 says, but the great cloud of witnesses. The saints of old, even, who have gone before us. Hebrews 12 says it. There's a great cloud of witnesses, all these saints. So this might feel a little strange for you, but I want to invite you to just close your eyes with me right now. Close your eyes with me. And imagine the cloud of witnesses. What saint do you see in that cloud of witnesses? By faith, because Hebrews 12 says it, even right now, as we're here together, the saints are worshiping with us. You can open your eyes. My hope is that your heart will explode and be wonderfully overwhelmed with a sense of God's highest glory. When we gather together, even in your own individual walk with Christ, whatever you're doing through the day, that, that you would respond. This is part of the mission. Part of the mission is worship, to be glad and worship God as our Christ, to be taken to God's highest glory. And may your heart not only explode with gladness, but may your heart also be soothed while you're on earth in your everyday life. Why? All is up with it uh, because glory to God in the highest and on peace on earth with whom he's, those he's pleased. The lyrics of the angel's song as they continue, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This peace is the peace of reconciliation, the goodwill between God and men. What was once alienation, separation, struggle, divisiveness, restlessness, fear caused by sin that needs to be solved. The heavenly host is praising God that God has solved that. He's solving the problem of being alienated and separated from God. That's why a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, has been born. Now, what's more, the angels include in their chorus one of the most profound, challenging truths of the gospel did you notice that phrase at the end? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. With whom is God pleased, we got to ask. That phrase, with whom he is pleased, that can be translated with those that God has willed. With those he has chosen. Towards those God has good will and delight. 
And even in this first pronouncement of Christ's birth, there's a hint towards what is clear in other parts of Scripture, this profound truth of God's delight in saving his elect. Now for those who bask in the assurance of God's grace, who have experienced God's grace, whose hearts are melted by God's grace, may you always humbly, joyfully, soberly, worshipfully ask, why have you chosen me out of billions your child to be when you know all the wrong that I have done? That's a good place to stay as a Christ follower. To always stay in that soft spot, that tender spot of just being undone by God's grace. Again, hopefully this leads to worship. Worship with our entire life through word and deed and through our heartfelt praise and song as a fitting and perhaps even only right response. But there's more, one more sort of action for us to take away from this. When we appreciate God's choice to announce Christ's birth to the lowly shepherds first, we see that the angel gives these simple, lowly men the highest theology, right? Some of the highest theology, but God, he's happy to share this and reveal this to the lowliest of men, despised shepherds. And as these men are the first to learn, what they learn is that this is meant to be a joy for all people. They understand that the gospel, I mean, first remarkably profoundly, they're transformed, that it's for them as outcast and marginalized and despised as they are. And therefore, as truly humbled people, I'm sure they would gladly receive this message that it's for everyone. And so the shepherds show us what overflowing grace looks like. As we pick up in verse 15, uh, 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, first, so first they're talking about it amongst themselves. They're having a little new community, so to speak. They're a small group. And then they move each other to action. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So first, let us go. They went. They acted. Let us see this thing that has happened. They witnessed history. They considered history. They learned from history. They let this historical event of Jesus on earth change their lives. Which the Lord has made known to us. They're already owning it. The Lord has made known to us. The shepherds by faith knew that the angels were just messengers. The shepherds received the message of grace as from God, by faith. So how do you and I overflow Christ's grace like the shepherds? Be a blessing. Share what you have heard, seen, and understand about Jesus. Okay? Don't worry about what you don't understand yet. Just take what you have seen and heard and what you understand up to this point, and when you have opportunity, just share. Don't be rattled by when People ask you questions that you don't have the answers to. That's okay. That's not your burden. Okay? Ultimately, the spirit at work. Just share what you have seen and understand. What's wonderful is what God leaves as an encouragement for us 
In verse 18, we read, All who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. So there will be those who initially wonder. They'll wonder, this is great. I've been reconnecting with some uh, past university friends over the break. And I remember the first time I shared the gospel with one of those friends. And I remember his reaction. No way. (laughs) I tried to explain just the gospel story and kind of a bit of church history. And it's like, no way. (laughs) I don't think he ended up believing. But at least I disrupted his thoughts. And there's some wonder there. He's wondering. It's good to create wonder. But what we want to see and what we want to pray for is that wonder becomes ponder. There were those who wondered, and then Mary pondered. And so pay especially close attention to those who further ponder like Mary. Try to carry on those conversations. Those who are wrestling their hearts with what it means for them personally. And let's do all this with the certain hope that God extends his peace and saves those with whom he is pleased. Now, a quick, important pastoral note here. And let me emphasize and say it even sternly. It's never, never our place on this side of eternity to pass definitive judgment on whom God's favor rests. Don't let your thinking go to that place. Instead, always remember from where God has mercifully saved you and from that place of steadfast humility, remember those whom God remembers. Material and spiritual widow, orphan, foreigner, and poor. And in this way, let us continue to build Christ's church. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, just pause to welcome a new year, um, Lord, help us to have the heart and spirit and prayer of even David in Psalm 139. Lord, he trusts you with his life, knows that you're fully in control, and at the end, humbly asks, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any offensive or anxious way in me. And so help us to do similarly as we welcome a new year to um, do good reflection that your spirit would show us things. And as a church as well, as we remind ourselves of uh, what you've put on our hearts as a church this year, a theme, to continue to build Christ's church. Uh, Help us to... um, Just do good evaluation and and to stay on track. We ask for your strength and that you would build up your church starting here at Trinity Grace. That it would be built by your mercy, your Messiah, as we stay on track with the mission that you've made clear in Scripture. And may this truly be all for your glory in the highest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.